This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. Once again, I'm going to be giving you six tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a football field. And, and I'll be giving a recap of what happened at this weekend's Tag Team Challenge. So, tip number one. It's an exercise tip, and it has to do with, specifically with, the volume of sprints that you do over the course of a week. Because our simple rule is to sprint as often as possible as fast as possible, as fresh as possible. So in your mind, you would think, all right, that I should sprint every day. Uh, As long as I don't get tired, I'm good. But there's a big but there, right? So there's got to be a cap on this. And I think this is where our crew got a little messed up with the sensors that we had from Freelab because we just became addicted to beating the time. There's got to be a cap on how many sprints you should be doing at top end speed. So in doing some research, uh, listening to the, the mad Les Spellman, You know, his number is one to five sprints over the course of a week at 95% of your top end speed. That should be the highest highest amount of sprints you should do. So for the simplest example, imagine you run 100 miles an hour, which no one does. You should not be doing more than five sprints at 95 miles an hour that week. If you do more than five five of those sprints, you're probably going to put yourself in a position to get injured. Then... In the 85% range, so that would be 85 miles an hour. Again, this is simple math and highly unrealistic for anyone running this fast. Anyway, <laughs> you would only do eight at 85% of your top end speed. Now, this is this is the this is the thought process. It's just don't do too much. So again, so you could run as often as possible, as fresh as possible, as fast as possible. If you keep going at 95% of your speed, you're gonna get hurt, like I did when I tweaked my hamstring right? You're going to get hurt if you go do too much volume. So that is the tip. That is the tip. Now, tip number two, something I'm experimenting with, is well, what can you do if you're, if you're limiting yourself to that few sprints over the course of a week at that high-end speed? What can you do to make up that other time? And when I say time, I don't mean time in your sprint. I mean time in your workout because most people are freaking out, right? Like, oh my God, if I don't run 100 sprints, then I'm soft. I'm a loser. What am I going to do? Go work out for 20 minutes and go home? That's ridiculous. Well, there's other things that you could do that don't have the same impact as a full-blown sprint. You could The things that I am doing or we are doing, one of them specifically would be to sprint backwards, right? The risk of injury is much lower, but it's, you're still going to get good cardiovascular work if that's what you're concerned about. It's going to still help you with your overall running mechanics. It's going to help with injury prevention. So that's one thing. The other thing you could do is uh, plyometrics or work on your form. But again, 
just the top end sprinting, limit it to that volume, and then use some other things to work on your mechanics or your form in the interim to get your mind through that, that hump of or that hurdle of, oh my god, I'm a loser, I went to the, the field today, I ran uh, four sprints and called it a day. Okay, so that is my tip number two, the experiment. All right, tip number three, a quote that I am thinking about, and I'm actually pulling it up so I don't butcher it. But this is a quote from Emerson. I think I've quoted him a few times. Here it is. As to methods, there may, may be a million, and then some, but principles are few. I'll say that again. As to methods, there may be a million, and then some, but principles are few. The man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. The man who tries methods, ignoring principles, is sure to have trouble. I'll say that last part again. The man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. The man who tries methods, ignoring principles, is sure to have trouble. So, why am I thinking about this? Well, I think about this when people want me to give them the prescription to lose weight, or to train, or to be more productive at work, or anything like that, right? Just give me the answers. Don't tell me how you got there. Just give me the answers. And trust me, I am a big fan of many a time, if you're presenting, this is a, like a rule of thumb I have, just show them the baby, right? Don't tell them about the labor, show them the baby. But there, if, people, if you want people to actually be able to follow what you're doing or to get benefit out of what you're doing, if they're going to apply it to their own life, they have to know the principles. They have to know the why of what made you do what you do and how you did it. This way, they can apply it to their own life and their own surroundings. If you just give them an A, do A, do B, do C, do D, they're not going to successfully adhere to it because they're not going to know the why. They're just going to know the what. Right? Or they might just know the how. But if they don't know the why, they're not going to get over that hurdle to make them stick to that thing that they want to do. So Emerson, great quote. It's a little long. That's why I had to read it. I often don't have to read these things, but I had to read that one because it was a little too long for me to memorize. And I ain't that smart. Okay, tip number four, something I'm listening to that's moved me. It was a Tim Ferriss podcast with Peter Atia. And normally, I don't know. Peter T is so smart that sometimes I just can't listen to his podcast because they're 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 too over my head. Like sometimes I want to listen to podcasts and just like let my brain relax as I'm working out, but when he's on podcast, he's so smart that my mind just can't keep up. So I wasn't going to listen to it. And then Jimmy Uski said, "Coach, you got to listen to that Peter Atia podcast with Tim Ferriss." I was like, "All right, I'll listen to it." And I did. And it was awesome. So thank you Uski. I may actually listen to it again, but a conversation. There was two things that sparked my, my attention or sparked my interest in this conversation, particularly. One was he was talking about alcohol consumption. Another, again, highly intelligent person talking about alcohol consumption, and just like Dr. Andrew Uberman said, this guy said, alcohol is not good for you. No matter what anybody tells you, it's not good for you. Basically, I'm, this is my commentary here. It's basically poison. You put it in your body, nothing good's going to happen. So what he says, he said, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to not drink, but I'm going to actively control or count the amount of drinks that I'm going to have over the course of a week. And may, let's say his number seven. So he makes sure that he's having seven drinks over the course of the week, and it's probably far worse to have seven drinks in one day than to space them out over the course of the week. Again, he knows full well and good that all seven of those drinks he's having, none of them are doing any good for his body. And he said that the couple of things that he likes to do is not have drinks right before bed. He tries to have like three hours before he goes to bed so he can sleep better and improve his sleep quality. But he really is weighing out the impact of the drink 
versus the social setting that he's in. So if it's worth it, he's going to do it. If it's not worth it, he's not going to do it. Also, what he said, which is def definitely not me, he said, uh, <laughs> not the way I was brought up, he said if he's, he's never going to have a drink he doesn't like. So if he's going to have a drink, he better like it because he can't waste one of those seven drinks on a drink he doesn't like. Now, in the Mahoney household, you ate or drank anything you were given and you finished it. Like, my mom would sit at the dinner table with my sister for hours and hours and hours to make her eat whatever was on her plate. So you, you finished what you got. So that's a big problem I have. I am a finisher. If somebody hands me a meal and I hate it, I'll I'll have it. If I have, hands me a drink and I don't like it, I'll have it because I just got to do it. So that was one thing in the conversation that I really liked. The second thing in the conversation, the, the whole point was he wrote this book on longevity, longevity, how to live a longer, healthier life. It's not good to live uh, to be 100 and you're in pain all the time. So you want to live a long and healthy life. And two of the best things that he said you could have to live a long and healthy life and he said the good of this often, or maybe almost always, out-trumps the bad of other things. So the bad of other things could be uh, you smoke, you live a sedentary lifestyle, you eat, gar eat garbage. That's bad. But the good of these two things can outweigh every all the other stuff. One was to have a high VO2 max, and two was to be strong. And I was like, this is great. Like, <laughs> this is right up my alley here. Not that I do a lot of the other bad things, but it, I really love the fact that this guy is saying that it's not just about uh, abstaining from stuff, but that being strong and being fit will often outweigh all the other bad things. So people, if you're listening to this podcast, you're in the right place because that's going to help you live a long and healthy life. Also, he says at the end that it's really also about having mental clarity in your mind, like being emotionally strong and healthy. So hopefully... There's some tips and tricks that go on in here that'll help you too. I don't know. Hopefully it helps. All right, tip number five, a productivity tip. I've talked about this one before, but I'm going to talk about it this one again because this is something that hit me this week. It's not just how you do things or what you do or why you do them. The other thing is it's when you do them. So for me, my when is really important. This is for me. I think it's for most people, but I don't know if people have looked at it as much as, as I have. When, the, the when part is when I wake up in the morning, I want to do my tasks that do not involve creativity. I want to get up and do – like I have a list. These are the three things I have to do, and I'm going to do them. Bang, bang, bang. So those are the three things that I need to do or else my day is a failure. And Those are usually, usually tactical work that I'm doing. I already know what I need to do. I just have to actually go out and do it. It's also part of why I have a morning routine. I don't have to think about it. I just go and I do it, and it gets me set up to get on my path to do those things. I don't want to have to be creative. Now, hopefully, you're in a job where you have the flexibility where you could do something creative. Because for me, then, in the afternoon, that's when I want to be creative. So, for example, if I take it into uh, my work life, in the morning, I'll work on calculations. I'll work on tactical work that I need to do of like looking at where like status reports and figure out what needs to be done. I do that in the morning. In the afternoon, that's when I would develop my presentation to help tell that story or present like a, maybe a motivational speech or something to that extent. In a football world, maybe in the morning, I will be working on taking the notes that I've jotted down and more properly putting them into like my uh, my little black book of secrets for football so that they fit into a particular space. In the afternoon, that's when I would brainstorm on when I would come to get when I would do something like uh, 
creating new football plays, thinking about motions that would get a defense messed up, thinking about shifts on defense that would get an offense messed up. I would do that stuff in the afternoon. So again, in the morning, do your more tactical work. In the afternoon, do your more creative work. I believe that's how the, the brains are, our brain is wired. I think it comes from a book called When by Daniel Pink. I could be wrong, but again, just think about not just the what, the how, and the why, but think about the when could be just as important, if not more important. If you have team meetings with your with your team or your staff, again, and you, if you want them to brainstorm in the morning, it's probably not the best time to do it. You want to do it in the afternoon. If you're working across multiple time zones, I got nothing for you. I don't have that answer yet. But if you're all working in the same, same time zone, afternoon is better than first thing in the morning to brainstorm. Okay, tip number six, the weirdest thing I saw all week. This is probably the greatest thing I saw all week. But after our challenge this week, our guys all, they slapped hands. It was like after a high school football game when the teams line up and they slap each other's hands. These guys were respected each other how well they did this week's challenge so much that they did a, a hand slap. We've never done it. I don't know if we'll ever do it again, but I was actually uh, quite amazed by this. All right. I, you know what? The, I'll go back to one more thing. Another tip number six, the strangest, the strangest thing I saw all week. This might be... The greatest thing that ever happened in advanced training history. It has nothing to do with training. Uh, this is, has to do everything with uh, having a little... Well, I'll tell you the story. There was a guy named Mike Murphy. And uh, it was March 30th. And we had a 5.15 a.m. workout. Now, Mike Murphy would come to these workouts in freezing cold. I don't know why. With just shorts and a t-shirt. No sleeves. And he would walk into the gym screaming like a maniac at 5.15 a.m. And people would think he's a complete and total loon. And he was. And he would get everybody hyped up, and it would be awesome. But I mean, the regular... Well, we worked out at a public gym. It wasn't my gym. So the regular people just trying to get a normal workout in. Like, who is this maniac coming in? But that's the type of guy you need in your program. Anyway, one day, I think it was like March 30th, he happened to miss a workout. He slept in a little late. Happens to everybody. It's 5.15 a.m. The guy's in his 20s. What do you expect? Anyway, two days later, I decide that I'm going to text him and tell him... He missed a workout that he, in fact, did not miss. There was no workout. I said, Mike, you missed again. Sorry, you're out of the program. It's been a good run. The guy was devastated. Well, two days later happened to be April 1st. Great April Fool's prank on Mike Murphy. Thank you, Coach Mahoney. But the best part is that every year, I try to do it. Every year on April 1st, I send him some ridiculous message of how he's a disgrace to advanced training. It's a thing we have to keep, we keep going on. But you got to have a little bit of fun in what you're doing. I'm just thinking through, I think uh, Dr. Tom also did something like that to De Joe DeFranco, reading out his blood work results, telling me he had something horrifically wrong with him, and then did any fool's prank on him as well. So, I won't say what I did to my guys yesterday, because it wasn't nearly as good as what I did to Mike Murphy, but you need to have a little bit of fun in your training too. It can't just be the grind every single day. But speaking of the grind and the challenge, now let's get to what happened at this weekend's Tag Team Challenge. Actually, before I get to that, I gotta say that this workout... I don't know why, the actual workout itself. So what we do, we work out, we train together, then we have a tag team challenge, then we have a head-to-head -head challenge. This week, this weekend's workout appealed to a lot of guys in our group. I, I can't tell you the why. I don't know why. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. To me, I believe that this is an art. I, I'll, I, I've often joked that if you mess up my workout, you're throwing paint on the Mona Lisa. But I truly believe that programming is an art. And there's got to be the art of... How do, you be, how do you keep your guys healthy? How do you make it effective so they get faster or stronger, whatever you're looking for? And then how do you keep them engaged or entertained? Right? You gotta, there's, a, there's a fine line between all three. And in the middle of all this, 
like, I guess the or engaged and entertained is also like the intensity that's going on, right? Like the emotional intensity of what's going on. So, and it's it's never perfect. Every one of these things is an art. In fact, when I write my workouts, when I write the training up, I do it in the afternoon because I think it's a creative thing. I take a lot of pride in what this is. And the weather and the field conditions when you train outside always impacts the quality of that workout. So I usually have like a plan A, a plan B, and it, it, it just like it's a lot there's a lot of thought that goes into this. So when people give feedback on the workout, I definitely take it to heart because again, I feel like it's my job as their trainer to make them have a great experience at every workout they have. Again, physically so that they don't get hurt, physically that so that they get better at what they're doing, and then mentally so that they're excited, entertained, engaged, whatever, I don't know. Right? That those are the three things I'm looking for. If you can get two out of three in there, you're usually doing a good job. If you get all three in there, you've had a masterful day. And I've had I've uh, I've broken a lot of eggs. I've had some, they always say got to break a couple eggs to make an omelet, right? I've broken a lot of eggs. I've had some very bad training sessions. I've had some very good training sessions. So again, the feedback is good. But yesterday, a couple of guys texted me in the group. A couple of guys texted me individually, say they they like the workout. So the workout itself, I'll tell you what it is. I can't put my finger on why it was so great to them, but I'll tell you what it is. We had a couple of stations. Station one was you took a sled with 170 pounds and you dragged it backwards about 10 yards. Then you got about a minute recovery. And you went to, you hold a, held a medicine ball in your hand, you projected that medicine ball forward. Like you did a, you threw that medicine ball with both hands, you projected your whole body forward, you chased after that medicine ball and ran like a, I don't know, 10 to 15 yard sprint. So it was almost like a form of post-activation potentiation. We had the heavy sled, heavy. Then we went over, we threw the ball and we chased it. So that was the explosive part. After that, we had a, a form of active recovery. We just took a sandbag that was filled with water with 50 pounds or a kettlebell that was 55 pounds and walked it 50 yards and back. It was just a way to to burn some time before the next drill. But it was also a way to be healthy while you were burning some time around the next drill. So that was like the next thing and you can carry that thing, that way, the sandbag or the kettlebell whatever way you wanted to. It was up to you. I don't care. It was just an act of recovery. And after that, we did a prehab where we get into a bear crawl stance. We're on our hands and our feet, not knees. And then we just kind of work on mobilization of our ankles and our hips and stabilizing our knees and getting our wrists a little flexible. And then last, we did a drill that was not fun, right? So the other ones were explosive. The last drill was we were going to do a prowler push and then do that right into a slider. And it started off at like 15 yards, then it went to 20 yards, and then it went to 25 yards. So it had a combination of speed. It had a combination of mental clarity where you took your walk. And then it had a combination of mental toughness where you had to do that and I I think we did about five rounds. So that was the actual workout. And again, I'm trying to figure this out because of the field conditions, right? Depending on what the field is like, sometimes those toys are impossible to move or they're too easy to move. And the weather conditions because the weather it kept the amount of rain kept changing over and over and over again. And I hate training in the rain. I did enough of my life playing in the rain, coaching in the rain, training in the rain. Now there's too many variables. Is we're supposed to use a farmer's walk? Can't use it in the rain. It's going to slip out of people's hands. It eliminates the possible the, the chances of doing an effective sleep, seated sli- ah, seated chain pull. Now chain's going to slip. So you got to figure out what you can and can't do in the rain. So that's like one thing. And then when you're looking at your weather apps the amount of rain that's supposed to come down continuously changes. Usually the temperature is about right, but the rainfall is wrong. And now we used to be experts on dew point. Now I'm becoming an expert on uh, like rain 
drop or like re- inches of rain per hour rates and what that equates to in terms of what's supposed to be heavy rain and what's not. So all of that is taken into account. <sighs> Which now leads me to, okay, you got your artwork of the workout, but there's also artwork of the challenge. So to come up with this tag team challenge, how is it fair? How does it fit with the conditions of the day? How does it fit with the amount of guys that actually showed up? Is anybody going to get hurt? Uh, like th- Things that I'm thinking through the entire time. So I had a couple of plan A's and plan B's, but legitimately, I was, and Uski says, oh, a coach always makes the, work, the trading up on the, the fly. He makes it up while we do it. I don't. I write it down. I think about it for a long time. This time, I, I was like, the weather changed dramatically from what I thought it was going to be when I woke up to the time I was driving to the field. That I was actually driving to the field thinking about, okay, what's this challenge going to be? Then, as we were training, I'm counting how many guys are, okay, what's the challenge going to be? I had an idea, but I couldn't fine-tune it. So anyway, I was setting up the challenge for the group. I even set it up wrong, had to reset it up. And these guys could clearly see that I was not... I was kind of making it up on the fly, but I was piecing together. I didn't have time to write this thing out as I was driving there. But I pieced together what the challenge would be. So here, without further ado, here was the challenge. We were going to put a guy... It's a five-length challenge because it was two teams of five. First time we've actually had an equal amount of people on both teams. So Bear Island... These guys travel in groups, right? They're either all there or they're all on Bear Island. So this week, Bear Island, which I think has 11 guys, six of them not there. They're on Bear Island, so they have five guys. Then the Flayed Men, they finally get five guys there. And their five guys are there are all good. So it's like, it's good. It's, it, when they get their guys, they're good. That, their, their prescription to winning, somebody even said it afterwards, was, hey, our formula for winning should be we just got to show up. Yeah, it's that simple. As Coach Mattis used to say, just show up. Anyway, so here's the challenge. It's a five-length challenge. Person number one, they're going to put their hands on a medicine ball, and they're going to get to the top end of a push-up position where their arms are fully extended, and they're going to do a 30-second push-up hold with their hands on a medicine ball. So now that the reason that's harder than a regular push-up hold is that they have to stabilize their body on this medicine ball, which can shake. After 30 seconds, I give them a go. They get up. They grab a sled that still has 170 pounds on it, and they're going to backwards drag that sled 20 yards. After they finish that backwards sled of the drag of 20 yards, they're going to sprint at a 90-degree angle to somebody who's waiting on sliders. They're going to tag that person. That person is going to slide 20 yards. They're going to get up. They're going to sprint 90 degrees and tag somebody who's holding the high handles of a prowler. That person is going to high handle that prowler across the field. Another interesting thing is that in the beginning of our workout, the ground was wet. In the middle of our workout, it became scorched earth. Right before this challenge, it started to rain again, so the field became nice and wet again. So they do their 20-yard prowler. They tag somebody else who does a there and back with the prowler. So they go 20 yards low handle, 20 yards high handle. Then they tag the last person who is standing on another set of sliders at a 90-degree angle from them, and they will do a slider. So it is a five-length event. Five-length means that's five different people going. Team with the best time wins. So two teams go. The... uh, Flayed Man goes first, and they knock it out in 121.43. And that includes the 30 seconds of the, the hold, right? That's really good time. Like, they, it was, like, seamless. Nobody struggled. Nobody puked. Really good effort by the team. It's about as flawless as you could run it as you can. Except, except the first guy, Carpentieri, instead of trying to run with the sled, sorry, instead of trying to drag the sled behind him, so it's a backwards sled pull, which means I want to face the sled and run backwards. 
what he did was he put the sled behind him and tried to run forward. So we had to stop him. I didn't stop the clock. I stopped him, turn him around, and so he started to run with it behind him. No, you got to run and look, run backwards and look at this thing. So except for that mishap, they had a poor, perfect execution of their time, and they did it in 121.43. Now, the reason I harp on Carpentieri is that during the workout, the actual workout, I said to everybody, we are only going to run backwards with the sled. And then at one point, I looked over and I said to Jimmy Yuski, a lot of Jimmy Yuski comments going on in this podcast today. I said, look at Carpentieri. He's about to throw paint on the Mona Lisa. And what was he doing? He was forward running with the sled. Now, it's not a bad workout, but today's prescription was to just run backwards. And the reason I was doing that was I wanted to not do the same exact thing twice. I wanted to run backwards with the sled and then go to a forward sprint. There was actually some method to my madness. Anyway, going back to the challenge, they killed it. Uh, Bear Island goes next. So they do the same exact drill almost in the same exact time, except there were two things that happened. One... One I didn't call out, and there's a rule of thumb here. you got to be touching the toys that crosses the line. So Joe Derrida, who's very good at the Prowler, he does the team. They choose him to go there and back on the Prowler. He doesn't absolutely touch the – he kind of pushes the toy through the line before he goes to tag the last guy. So in my mind, that's like a usually a one-second penalty. And then he doesn't clearly tag the guy to do the last set of sliders. So that would be like a two-second penalty. So – he doesn't tag the guy, he doesn't push the toy through the line, and they get 122 point, I don't know, it was like 122.2. So it was like within a second of each other. Now my, my rule, remember my finger's been calibrated over and over with my testing, I'll give you a tenth of a second, uh, and that's it, right? But this was like one second, I'm not counting it, and I didn't count those two penalties, and I awarded the flayed man the win. So there you go. Flame Ed, you get the win. Of course, there was controversy. How could our times be that close? Uh, we looked like we beat them. All the usual issues of we'll go on advanced training. But again, I am the judge, jury, and executioner. I have often been accused of favoring certain teams, but I favor no one. I want them all to lose. So the Flayed Man win. We say, all right, now. Now you all win. You get your points. If you've been listening to this podcast long enough, now you know how this works. If your team wins, you all get three points. And now you have to pick people from the losing team to go head-to-head. And if people lose two head-to-head challenges, they are out. They can no longer go head-to-head, and it eliminates them from getting any more head-to-head points. So here we go. Who do they pick? Matchup number one, they pick Jimmy Uski to go against Joe Derrida. Good, I think it's a good idea. I don't know if I want to say why, what, stra- what their strategy was, but I'll give you what my strategy is. Joe Derrida, he's the top dog right now. He's got the most points. They want to they wanna get this guy out, right? But also, Jimmy Uski... He's got a loss. Maybe they get this guy out. Jimmy Uski, might, I think he is the only two-time challenge champ. So this is good. Whoever loses, they're knocking one of these guys out of these head-to-head challenges. So Yusky, we, we, what we did was we're going to do the same exact challenge, one person, except I am not a madman. I am not a mean guy. I didn't make it 20 yards length this time. Now we broke it down to 10 yards. Thank you very much, people. So now everybody's going to do the same exact drill, but only 10 yards in length versus 20 yards in length. So... Yusuke goes first and puts on what I would call a flawless performance. He does it in 1 minute, 11 seconds, completely and totally sick. Derrida goes, and I got to say, I think you put a big dude. This guy's an offensive lineman. I think he's the only offensive lineman in our crew, and maybe one of the only offensive of the hundreds of guys who've been through advanced training. We might have had like 20 that were offensive linemen, so he's, he's a big dude. 
I think the intent and the intent of doing the medicine ball hold, maybe I should have said this before you go, was to wear you out, right? It wasn't to do anything else other than wear you out. So wore him out, and he looked a little slow when he got up out of that medicine ball hold and got into his first set of sliders. But he recovered too, but he finished it in one minute and twenty-four seconds. So Derek so Yuski beats Deradita by thirteen seconds. Deradita is now he's still number one in points. But he now has two losses, and now he's officially out of head-to-head challenges. So he's still ranked number one. If the season ended today, he's got a bye. He's the number one seed. So if his team keeps winning, that's what he needs to hope for now. His team needs to keep winning, or he's not going to have these head-to-head challenges to give him more points. Now, Yuski gets his win. He only has one loss, and he's able to stay in these head-to-head challenges. So good job, Jimmy Yuski. All right, team number two, which has now become – sorry, event number two, which is now becoming – the most heated rivalry in advanced training. You got Rob Wallen versus Steve Armato. This would this would be the fifth time that these guys have met up in the last two years. And at this point, it was a two and two record. Armato won two, Wallen won two. And this year, this year alone, Armato beat Wallen. Armato handed Wallen his only loss of the year. So Armato goes first, and Armato's a guy who I don't know if you remember the Tough Man video from last year, but He's in many of the clips of the Tough Man video. Uh, not performing. He is at the end of his own Tough Man competition, laying there, physically unable to move. So when someone else finished their Tough Man at the end of that clip, you will see Armado laying on the floor, again, physically unable to move. Because he gave it everything he had, but he, this guy had not trained with us for a long time. Even though he's the first guy ever in advanced training to be on a YouTube video, uh, he made the advanced training documentary. He's, he's an advanced training guy through and through. He's like an OG. But he hadn't trained with us for a year, so he's coming. He had to get the cobwebs out. His, so he goes, and he annihilates this drill. Like, it's, again, I just feel like every week, this guy is just getting better and better, and he keeps putting on his own best performance. So he knocks it out in 1 minute and 17 seconds. Now, look, Jimmy Yuski gets a 1 minute 11 seconds, but he's, we're, we're not comparing him to Yuski at this point. We're comparing Armado to Armado. And again, this is a guy that was in the end clip of everybody else's freaking tough man. He was at the end of it because he was exhausted and couldn't get through it. Uh, and it was that way with other workouts during the season. So this guy just completely, for him, him versus him, awesome showing. So he knocks it out with one minute and 17 seconds. And I'm thinking, look, Jimmy Yuski just he, he had a flawless run. He, he's having like an alpha dog moment. No one's going to hit 111. So even 117 is great because I, I didn't think Deradita did badly. I thought Deradita did a great job, but who's going to compete with Yuski? So Wallen's about to go. I scream across the field like, come on, Wallen, what do you got? And I'm thinking in my head, I'm just doing this for fun here because Wallen's got no shot. Like I, I walk up to Wallen. I'm like, Wallen. I said, uh, I won't say what I said to Wallen. I'll say what I said. No, nah, I won't say what I said to Wallen. I was just trying to get in his head, to get him motivated, to get him to go. But again, I'm thinking, Wallen, you got no shot, man. Like, the performance that Armado just put on, it's over. Just, I'm um, thinking, and I don't know if he was thinking that, because again, Armado looks so good doing it. If I was going after Armado, I'd be like, I lost. I don't know what was going through Wallen's head, but I know what went through Wallen's body. And he finishes it in 1 minute and 14 seconds. And to be honest, when he started, he didn't start off that great. Like, he got out of the the med ball hold, and he pulled the sled back a little slow, and his first set of sliders were a little slow. And then he just kept getting faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And, faster, and they were at about the same point 
when they got to the last slider. And then Wallen, I use this term a lot, and I'll keep using it a lot, and I'm using it again right now. He looked like he was shot out of a cannon. He got on the slider and said, boom! <laughs> he finished the last slider so fast that that actually cut off those three seconds between him and Armado, and he finishes in one minute and 14 seconds. And what he did on that last length was that he put his feet on the sliders, shot them backwards, and he already gained like two yards before his hands ever hit the ground. He kind of just, poof, like like a ninja, fell to the ground and gained two yards without even moving. Now, one thing about this Wallen guy is that for the last, I don't know, how many, I'd say years, got to be a couple of years, he's been the slider guy on Thanksgiving tag team challenges. They make him the slider guy a lot, and he's got a lot of experience at doing sliders, and he's... I know that he's always trying to beat me on the clock. I know he is. So when he's the first guy in a slider length, I he doesn't wait for me to say go or when you're ready. He just he just goes trying to beat that time. And he, part of what he does, if you watch his old clips, he just he drops down and goes. He has that experience. But this one, this wasn't me starting the clock. He was already in the middle of his rhythm. And for people that don't do this, it's very hard to get out of a prowler when you go there, back there. You have like a little bit of jelly legs, you're disoriented, to get your feet on the sliders so they don't fall off the sliders. So for what he did, it was nothing short of my mind of miraculous that he got A, got his feet on the sliders, they didn't fall off, and B, shot them backwards, and C, he already gained two yards before he even got his hands on the ground. So while in heroic effort, you know, and Armado afterwards was like, you know, I'm angry because... Not because I lost, but because I gave everything I had and it wasn't good enough. Armado, no, man. Like, I get it. I think the same thing, too. I'm like you. We're of the same mind. But as your coach, I'm telling you, no. It's you versus you, right? It's you versus you. Wallen just happens to be on the other end of this thing. And you guys are making each other better by competing at this level. Because I know you're not satisfied. I know him beating you by three seconds is pissing you off. And now you want to get the 114. That's awesome. So be, don't be content with this thing, but damn, be proud of how much better you've gotten. This is, not, this is not the best you'll ever give. I promise you that. Don't think like, I gave it everything I had. You did give it everything you had, but there's still more. Like Everything you did today is going to make you better for the next time. Every time Wallen tried to beat me on those little challenges, that made him, really, that made him so much better at that last length of this tough man. Every tough man Wallens ever did, every challenge he's ever did, has helped him get better at these things. So, what you are right now, and this goes to everybody in advanced training, what you are today is just a reflection of the things you've done for the last five years, the books you've read, the food you ate, the alcohol you did or didn't consume, the challenges you've been in, the challenges you've accepted, the challenges you've declined, the sessions you've made, the sessions you've missed. It's all it is. It's a reflection. You, what you are right now is a reflection of all that stuff. So don't take lightly when you miss a workout. Don't take lightly when you make a workout. Don't take lightly when you lose a challenge because it's just making you better for the next one. Sorry I'm going off on a tangent here. And Amato, this is not, this is not ho- only directed at you, man. And it's in a good way because I love how competitive you are and every session you're at makes us better. This is directed at everybody who does this stuff with us, and even those who don't. But I think that's a great microcosm of what happens at advanced training because you did give it everything you had. It's not the last, bro. It's not the last. And you still only have one loss. And hopefully, I'm hoping these guys do it. Because that's how advanced training works. I hope that this becomes a... Uh, hope there's another head-to-head matchup in your future. Because I want to see who takes this one. Alright, people. I've gone off on way too many tangents. I remember when 6-Minute Mondays used to be less than 6 minutes. Not this week. Not this month. Not this year. Alright, people. Enjoy the rest of your week.
This episode is brought to you by Pro Pulse Speed Trainers, created by the mad scientist himself, David Weck. Now, in my 20 plus years of evaluating athletes, there was always one thing, one thing that I could look at and tell you if this athlete was going to be sick or if they were going to be in our coordinated mess. And I could tell you that in about five seconds. And what was it? It was the way their upper bodies moved in sync with their lower bodies. If they were in complete and total sync, I knew the athlete was going to be sick. You've always heard, look at this guy's arm angles. Look at the way the violent arm action, the way this guy runs. Well, those were always the best athletes. Now, what David Weck did is he created these little miniature weights that are about 12 ounces each that you can hold in your hand. And inside of those weights, he has these little beads. And when you run and when, you move, when you're pumping those arms, when those weights are pumping those arms, you can actually hear with those beads if you are on the right rhythm. It's actually sending a signal to your brain to say, yep, I am in pace, I am in rhythm, and it will instantly get your upper body and lower body in sync. If you want to become like Michael Jordan, Randy Morse, LeBron James, Derek Jeter, watch these guys run, watch their sick arm angles, get yours today. Go to shop.weckmethod.com. That's shop, W-E-C-K, that's weckmethod.com. Put in the code WMA270. Again, that's W. MA270. It will get you 10% off of any item that you buy. Go and get yours today.